Hey everyone, Eric Watson here, and this is the recorded audio of a DM-only live stream in which I prepare for our next live session and chat with fans each week at my Rogue Watson YouTube channel. Please note that these streams are full of DM spoilers. This was not originally intended for an audio-only format, but has been converted to a podcast for your convenience. The channel and by extension this podcast are supported by Patreon. If you'd like to support my work, you can do so at patreon.com slash roguewatson. Enjoy the show. here freelance writer player of games writer of boards recorder of videos and tabletop role-playing aficionado welcome to my weekly behind the scenes dm only live stream crafting icewind dale which i build right and prepare for our next session of rhyme of the frost maiden if you are playing characters valravan Frey, celeste edmund or thimbleweed video is not meant for you it'll be full of spoilers but for the rest of you welcome we stream our DD sessions live on youtube every friday evening you can watch all of our D&D live series, as well as reviews and Let's Plays on my YouTube page, and read weekly session recaps at RogueWatson.com. You can follow me on Twitter at RogueWatson and join our official Discord server with invite link in the description below. If you would like to support the channel, please check out Patreon.com slash RogueWatson. For our campaign, we use Roll20.net for streaming. I use open broadcaster software with Streamlabs. I apologize so much for being late. Uh, baby was just not cooperating today. Still not cooperating. Thankfully, the wife was able to tag in. Probably we'll need to push this stream for, till uh, maybe 10.30 in the future, my time. So usually I'm going, been trying to go at 10, but I think her schedule's a bit later. So this is D&Ding with baby. Uh, we're probably going to have to do 10.30 to 11.30 rather than 10 to 11. Again, that's central U.S. time. But for now, we are live with another episode of... Crafting Icewind Dale, and we need to talk about uh, going beyond Bryn Chander, which is where we're at. So this is our landing page. You saw it last week, hopefully. Um, and I timed it where, obviously, I know where the players are going to go from here on out. By the way, hello, Adam, Nathan, uh, Aubrey, Farty, miss anybody, Garchomp, good to see all of you. Um... Because I need to know which one to plan, and if you noticed, I definitely stopped it. Uh, I, I I think we timed it pretty well. Well, we're not going to talk too much about last week, but I think we timed it where we had a full social uh, encounter, basically, with the whole council of speakers, and then uh, I didn't have to plan for, oh crap, where are they going to go next, because now I know where they're going to go next, and they told me to Tourmaline in a beautiful mind. Fun fact, that was not the one I would have bet. I would have bet as soon as I said that the mead was dried up, and that they... Uh, you know, the taverns were going dry. They'd be like, oh, we've got to go rescue the booze. We're going to Goodmead. But apparently not. That's, apparently they're going to go to the mines of Tourmaline. So, in order to get there, which I did tell them they can purchase... Let's actually go to the big map. Uh, they can purchase any supplies that they want to spend, because they did get some money for joining the Ten Towns Marshals and for um, helping the dwarves in the Foaming Mugs quest. 
Uh, and then they can decide... Um, if they don't want to buy anything else, then they're free to leave Bryn Shander. <sighs> Technically, I guess you could go straight to Tourmaline? Let's see. I mean... I guess you could. It's two miles... But it's pretty... If you're going straight to Tourmaline... You don't necessarily have to go to Tar... So I've always been assuming they're going to follow the roads. Follow the red dotted road. But that's not necessarily going to be the case. I guess there is a possibility they could skip Targos and go straight to Tourmaline, which is fine. Um, I don't... We also need to prep a possible encounter to go between these areas. Because even if they stick to the roads, which again, I want the roads to be generally safe, but... We're talking about a couple hours traveling. And this is one of the... Um, bigger stretches of road. You basically have Bryn Chander to East Haven. 14 miles. And then you've got Targos to Tourmaline, which is... What are we looking at? Four and five is nine miles. Now, I believe I, in our game, I have shortened the travel time. Actually, write that down somewhere. I have a separate doc for that. Where I kind of just followed what the Dungeon Master's Guide says about travel. I think it's in the DM's Guide. Versus what it says in... The Rhyme of the Frostmaiden book, because I think it just felt way too slow. Even though, yes, they're traveling in, like, winter conditions, but still, I just... I think I'm so, like, the hex crawl of Tomb of Annihilation, like, broke me when it came to travel that I don't want travel to take very long. But, it doesn't mean it's not... Uh, can't have occasional encounters. I don't want to just roll for random encounters. I'm not doing that, so I'm going to have scripted encounters, which is, I think, what I did for Tomb... Yeah, I said normal pace, 3 miles per hour, or 24 miles in a day, which assumes you're either on roads or trails, or you're on mounts or vehicles. On difficult terrain, you slow down to 2 miles an hour, or 18 miles per day. Which, even if you start traveling beyond, I mean, that's still... What is that? 18 miles a day. Um, I mean, you can still make it to a lot of these areas, like, within a single day's travel. Granted, I could easily move these around once I want, but for example, it's only... From Tourmaline to Kelvin's Cairn, 10 miles. So we're not talking about, like, making camp and doing all that, which is good. Because my long rest rules are in effect, so that helps kind of not worry about that as well. So, obviously, I don't think there should be any encounters between Bryn Shander and Targos. That's literally, like, an hour away. It's not, I mean, just nothing. It's an easy, easy travel you can make there very quickly. Two miles overland could be dangerous. It could be. I don't have anything planned if the party does actually decide to just skip ahead and go straight to Termalane. The only reason I think they won't is because I gave them a... If you look back at the landing, uh, I gave them a, um, a rumor and lead that points to Targos, which if you're playing it like an open-world video game and you're kind of making a mental list of, okay, where do I need to go to check up on my quests... Uh, that would be one of them, so it makes sense to go Targos and then Tourmaline. And then in Targos, I've got a scene set up where they can meet uh, privately with Speaker uh, Max Ildenar and basically get more of that quest about him wanting to um, undermine the Speaker of Tourmaline. It's a little bit of kind of political drama there, 
which the players can engage with or not. Because nobody wanted to actually be involved in the Zentarum during player character creation, it's not going to be a big um, kind of personal quest hook like I thought it might be. I kind of want to keep it in there because it's interesting and it makes the speakers kind of fun. Um, but if the players just want to tell him to fuck off, they certainly can. Um, but that's there's going to be a little scene there, basically. And then there'll be another scene in the, uh, whatever the general store is, Triglio, I think where they can uh, talk about the previous adventuring party and ask questions about, well, you said they were here buying supplies. What were they buying? And that will be a scene where the store owner will tell them uh, they were buying supplies that that looked like they were going to do a mountain excursion. And the only giant mountain here that would require a huge, like, you know, supply run purchase would be Kelvin's Cairn. So that would immediately update that rumor and lead. And also the fact that they said they were going to meet a wizard in, uh, East Haven. So that would actually update too. So what's interesting there is they could go to East Haven and see that event, or they could just go ahead and go to Kelvin's Cairn and then end up getting the quest for um, Mountain Climb. So I think I'm, I'm kind of getting rid of the, the initial hook for Mountain Climb and instead focusing on, the, instead of having the dog, because the dog was just a weird, like this dog ran like how many miles to go get help? Instead, um, and just felt very like lassie, just kind of dorky. Um, Instead of that, I'm going to use the, advent- the the hook of the adventure, the lost adventuring party that the players can like follow up on, and then it bran- it'll branch into two different slots where they can do mountain climb, and then they'll do the um, basically dissolve burning at the stake in East Haven, and they can decide which one they want to do next. I would think they might because they're going to go to Termaline to do the mine. They would probably move on to go straight to the mountain, which is totally doable, and then we can run mountain climb, which would be a lot of fun. So that's kind of the plan there. Um, again, hoping they go to Targos and follow up on those. Um, if they do want to go across, I guess I need to have a overland, a, a kind of um, tundra encounter just in case. It's only two miles, so that would only be an hour. I don't know what to throw at them at level two. There's not a whole lot of great options. I'm not a huge fan of the encounters that are uh, in the book necessarily. The one I was thinking of doing, like let's pull up under chapter two. And that kind of says, how many should you do? Which it sounds like you should average close to one encounter per day. But again, per day, I mean, a day is 24 miles here. So it's going to be a while. The cut through would be neat to have some sort of encounter. Yeah, for sure. Scripted wilderness encounters. Indeed, we're all on the same page there. Hello, Mad Mage. Travel my home game. I developed a cool random role system. They get opportunities to investigate. Salvage for treasure, avoid encounters through skills, or engage directly with players like. Well, please share that at our on our Discord. I'm interested in that. I you know, I did kind of something similar with um uh Omu, where I had the players able to roll like a I don't know what I don't remember what it was, but they could do something in a radius where it was like them searching the area, and I basically instead of rolling skill checks or anything, it was just I think a random roll, and then that roll determined did you find treasure, did you find an encounter, like what was that thing, and it very much was like the Overland video game map, and then you kind of you find an event, and an event pops up, and it's like a monster or something. So, excuse me, but that's that reminds me of that, so that's a fun system. I only roll for random encounters. Uh, do you play on roll 20 no fun? Because that's the big problem I have, is I don't like um, uh, having to put a bunch of roll 20 stuff on the fly. That gets pretty awkward. I'm pop in and say, hi. Hi, Smog. How's your treasure hoard? I hope you haven't run into any hobbitses. videos. Nice. Did we stuck on a mountain? Yeah. <laughs> 
Random encounter can involve the polar bears. We're gonna start the bad. Yeah, <laughs> we all like the bear puns. So I do like the idea of um, if if the players ever find themselves in deep shit out in the wilderness or something, that like one or two polar bears can show up to like just as a really funny like callback to uh, Edmund being kind to the bears and you know even though the charm animal thing wouldn't obviously last that long or anything like that but that's always a fun case and it, i think that's true of like you know, those viral videos and things where it's like you know animals that this person nursed back to hell like a wild animal like an elephant or something and then they go back into the wild and the elephant comes up and hugs them or something you know those are always fucking heartwarming as hell and that's what that's what uh, a cool a cool event would happen is if they instead of like having that be its own encounter have it be like the the players are having a really nasty encounter outdoors and then the bears like show up even if it's in the distance or something to just help them out i think could be uh really fun as a callback to like hey remember when you helped them well they're here to help you <laughs> yeah so encounters um i was trying writing a mammoth boy have y'all looked at the stats of shardland berserkers they are no fucking joke I originally thought, like, oh, it'd be fun to tease the Shardland stuff, but then I was like, oh, shit, these guys are, like, CR5 or something. Like, they are nasty. <laughs> That's a goofy picture, too. CR4. Yeah, 90 hit point average, and they attack three times. This is a trap. <laughs> One of those dudes. It's just a dude. Uh, would absolutely wipe the part. And that's that's always the funniest fights is, you know, when you have a nasty monster, players can be like, oh, okay, it's going to be a nasty monster. But when you just have a dude, and I mean like, an, an you know, somebody who looks just like a human or another adventurer, it's very hard to like meta-knowledge that information about like, well, crap, are they a commoner? Are they a noble? Are they a knight? Are they a veteran, a gladiator? And that's when you get to these really interesting TPK situations where players just don't know how strong those enemies are. Until you start rolling these attacks and start uh, saying, yeah, he's still up. And everybody's like, oh, shit. Uh, I know we had a run-in with that. Which I think it's the gladiator stat block is always one that really fucks the players up. So they're like, holy shit, this dude's attacking three times and destroying us. Sabertooth Tiger. You know, it definitely want to tease uh, the Ancient White Dragon at some point. But probably don't need to do it this early. It'll probably be when they actually... Because I don't, I don't see that dragon... Um, going after, uh, flying anywhere over ten towns. So it'll probably be later for that one. Um, let's see. Knolls and orcs. Uh, not very Icewind and They wouldn't be close to the road. Chinguas I'd never like. They're always dumb. So the ones and kobolds obviously we're going to come across. I did like to... I, I do want to have a periton encounter because the one that's written is really cool which is um, a pair of peritons just keep swooping down and trying to grab a heart because they need a heart to, like, uh, breed or something. Um, but that one could be more where it's a little more mountainy. I could see that being more, um, you know, definitely a wilderness one that's kind of a lower level. So I do want to have that one in my pocket for sure. Um, Cold Light Walker is really cool. Crag Cats also, although Crag Cats are, again, stronger than you think. Um, that would be another pretty easy, like, straight-up combat encounter. CR1, 30 hit points. They've got pounce. They have a really interesting spell defense, although they only attack once, so actually they're not as strong as I thought. But you could use them in greater numbers. The encounter that I kind of want to run... 
Underwater zombies. Nice. I'm I'm kind of staying away from undead because of tomb because we just came off of tomb. Um, I guess not just come off, but tomb was full of undead, and that was a huge part of that campaign. And um, you know, I know some folks are even running this campaign as more undead like. You know, having it be a whole like uh, it's the Game of Thrones thing. Shoot the White Walkers. Which is all cool, but that doesn't... I don't necessarily want to go in that direction. Um, I mean, you could have occasional zombies or something, but um, I just... We used so much undead in the last campaign. Uh, I do want to use Cold Light Walkers, though. Those are really cool. The one that I'm thinking of is... Frostruid and Friends, which sounds not like an encounter. So, in my campaign, just to call back for the story... Um, Arl has shut this place down like a security system. So basically, Ethrin has been discovered by Valish Gaunt and Neslantamir. Um, and Va uh, Gaunt first discovered that there was some kind of mother load of Shardalan. He was like just mining Shardalan um, and just trying to figure out like what was here and kind of exploit this land's resources. And then he discovered there was something larger buried in the glacier. But, coincidentally, he was arrested, thrown in prison, and hasn't been able to follow up on that. However, one of his apprentices, slash lover, Ness Lantimere, again, I'm kind of going with the Joker, Harley Quinn angle, um, Ness Lantimere stole the orb from, this is all me rewriting this plot, stole the orb from the Arcane Brotherhood in general, like from their stock of artifacts. Uh, the Professor Orb, which I haven't decided if I want to keep it a Professor Orb, or just make it kind of a MacGuffin item. Um, connected it to the laboratory, and then found, confirmed the existence of an entire Netherese city buried in the glacier. Um, and when she did that, it activated, like, this big magical, like, sonar system, maybe even activated the Mythalar, I haven't decided that yet. Um, but more importantly, it uh, basically woke up, it's like, picture the Eye of Sauron, like, pointing exactly at that direction, or I guess in, in Ten Towns area in general. And Aurel just freaked the fuck out because she is originally a Netherese wizard that was a, that ascended herself to godhood um, by drawing power from the Mythalar. So she knows that A, that's all her backstory involved, and B, she knows that that thing has the power to grant people like godhood and all that. So she, and she thought it was all like buried and gone. So she would be very concerned about anybody finding Etherin and exploiting its power. Thus, she her response is. And, you know, she's not going to do things very subtly or meticulously. She's just going to shut this whole fucking zone down, like put it under security lock, like, you know, put the doors down. And the way she does that is by doing the everlasting rhyme, by having it just be permanent winter and just slowly like suffocating everybody. Now, she doesn't necessarily want to kill everybody in Ten Towns. She still values her worshipers as her source, as a big source of her divinity. Um, although her divinity is, you know, like I said, she kind of did it herself via magic. But she's more concerned with people finding Etherin. So my question is, what is Oral doing uh, this entire time? You know, this this all happened uh, months ago. I have to go to my. I've got like my own little. What do you call it? I don't know if Bible is the right term, but the official uh, like notes on everything. Um, which again, platinum patrons have access to these notes. So I believe that the Gaunt thing happened years ago. I, I said that was two years ago, that he was around, and then he found the Shardland and all that, and then it was not till six months ago where Lantimere was able to return to Icewind Dale with the orb in hand 
that she had stolen and connected that to the laboratory that Gaunt uh, built. I think I'm also going to flavor it to connect the Dwergar, that Gaunt was using the Dwergar as the ones who were actually mining the Shardalin. Um, whether or not he enslaved them or just paid them off, I'm not quite sure. Um, maybe just working with them. Probably just working with them as, like, minions. Um, and when Gaunt was arrested, that left a power vacuum, and the Dwerger were still around, because he was arrested in town, like one of his trips back or something, because uh, he was also trying to take over Bryn Chander at the time. And then the Dwerger, um, one of them arose up, which was Zardarok, became, like, a warlord, and basically equipped some of the Shardalin they had found and slowly became corrupted by Shardalin. And that's how he wants to, like, end up destroying, uh, you know, Ten Towns with the Shardalin Dragon and all of that. So that will tie in the Dwerger plot to all the rest of it. It's like the reason the Dwerger are even here is because of what Gaunt was doing, um, which means I'll have to put that laboratory somewhere over there. So this is all future plans, but the reason, you know, and not going to happen until we get deeper into the campaign, but the reason I have to go over this is because I need to know what Aurel is doing these days, as well as where all my villains are, because I've got this meticulous backstory written where all these things have happened in the past, which is a fun way of me building this story out, but then I still need a method for, um, like, what are those, what are all those various NPCs and entities doing at the start of this campaign, and obviously with a focus on, I'm not gonna have, like, cutscenes that just show um, the villains necessarily. I need to do it all through the player's lenses. So, in that case, I like the idea that the Frost Druids are Arl's minions, essentially out in the field, like she wouldn't necessarily be, you know, on the ground hunting for people. Um, I don't like the idea that she's the one necessarily, like, flying across the sky and literally making things dark. That seems kind of dorky. Um, that maybe she has to spend literally all her power shutting things down and then occasionally communicating with her followers. So maybe she still just remains back in Grimscala for the most part. But she's got all those agents that can run around. And then those agents would probably be primarily tasked with trying to find uh, Neslantamir. And, 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 you know, hunting down. Uh, because she is the one that was able to use the orb to actually find it. And then she would be very concerned if she knows, you know, how much does she know. So... That could lead um, having an encounter with a frost druid and her minions, because she can go around and um, you know awaken a bunch of animals and use those as fun minions. So kind of little army NPC. And I like the idea of using of pulling the one that's from the uh, the lonely wood quest because I'm I don't know if I'm gonna actually use that one or not. It's not one of the best ones, um, which is Ravison, the named frost druid. And use her as an encounter, not as a way for the players to fight her right away, but as a way to introduce her and the fact that Arl may be um, hunting, um, actively trying to do something in the campaign. Because as written, she's just terrible, right? She's got no agency, like, just... And it even it's even written really bad, where it's like, oh, she's an inscrutable goddess, and she's just doing things for reasons. Like, that's fucking terrible. So instead, she's actively, like, shutting this place down because she wants to protect Aetherin and keep it sealed away. And meanwhile, she's trying to find the other villains of the campaign, which is the uh, Baelish Gaunt, who is in prison, and Ness Lantimere. What I haven't answered in this campaign, story-wise, is where is Ness Lantimere and what has she been doing for the last six months? Because this all happened about six months ago, because I mentioned that's how long the Everlasting Rhyme has lasted. So she's probably been trying to just stay alive and 
avoid. So I'm almost creating a situation where the uh, it's Lord of the Rings with Aurel as Sauron, but the the ring is actually in the hands of another villain faction, and then the party is kind of caught trying to figure out. Okay, we need to find them, and then we also need to like stop the the Sauron Tower. But there's going to be some interesting twists along the way, which is the fact that Aurel can become an unlikely ally uh, later on in the campaign. So that's all important story stuff that we'll be uh, going over later. But I think for this first encounter, I like the idea of maybe having um, Ravison show up maybe in like a wolf form because I think she does she have her own stat block. Let's see. Or is she just a frost druid? Oh, she's got her own stat block in here. Okay. There is a frost druid stat block I could use, but her picture is way creepier and cool. Which she does have a cool story. She blames, yeah, Ten Towns for the death of her sister, also a frost druid. I don't know how her sister died. Is that involved anywhere? She has a shrub, which is goofy. I don't know. Although, is it included in the picture? Is included in the picture. Okay. <laughs> so cool. And then a dorky little awakened shrub. So I like having Ravison specifically be an acolyte of uh, Aurel, and maybe she has been heard the calls of Aurel, and I like the fact that, again, you can make her a more inscrutable goddess and say, like, maybe she's just telling her followers, find the wizard, find the orb, and then I can have, like, awakened animals come up to the players on the road and be like, where is the wizard, where is the orb? And the players don't know what the fuck any of that means. It would just be a creepy thing for that to happen. And then depending on how they answer, I can either unleash a full battle with a bunch of, like, maybe regular wolves. I like the idea of using winter wolves, by the way, as, like, official oral minion monster wolf things. Um, but that would be too strong for a level 2 player, so maybe just regular wolves. Or I could just have it be a quick social scene, like a tease, and then maybe unleash, like, an ice storm on them or something. Just, like, a, a, a spell just to... Uh, weaken them a little bit and maybe forcing them to you know, short rest before the actual gem mine begins uh, because I believe frost druids can cast ice storm and sleet storm which I gotta be careful with ice storm it's a 4th level spell I think sleet storm just changes the terrain doesn't it freezing rain and sleet heavily obscured ground and discovered a slick ice making it difficult it doesn't do any damage Okay, so that one's actually no good to just throw at people because it doesn't do any freaking damage. Um, the other one I could do is Frost Fingers, which is just like a Burning Hands, I think, but with... Uh, actually, in here it is. With Ice. Although, technically, Frost Druids don't have that spell, but whatever, mine could. Juvenile, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't want to throw yetis at them yet. I want to. I want to save my yetis for mountain climb. I think that'll be fun. Remember the yeti from? Yes. <laughs> the, yeah, that was the most memorable. One of the most memorable fights is when Chris randomly threw a random encounter at us, and he did not know the actual how much damage yetis could do, which was funny. Frost fingers is a fifteen foot cone. So they have to be actually close for that. Let's make a con saving throw, taking 2d8 cold damage on a failed saver half as much on a successful one. That's probably a safer bet. How much is 2d8 these days? Uh, 
So maybe 10 damage on average, 9 damage. And if they save for half of that, it's just 5 cold damage. That's a little bit of a softening. I want to do Unleash Frost Fingers. What if I do Ice Storm? Now we're talking serious business. What's funny is I could um, determine how the social scene goes. They really piss whoever is going to approach them off. Ice Storm is a deck save. A creature takes 2d8 bludgeoning damage and 4d6 cold damage, or half as much damage on a successful one. And it's just an instant, like, which would be a really cool way of showing off that power. So 2d8 plus 4d6. Uh, that's not too bad. Maybe I was just rolling bad. Okay. Okay. Well, somebody taking 20... That would be that would down some of the players. <laughs> Yikes. Um mm. That one I would only do if they really role played that one poorly, I think. Do you mean regular wolves or winter wolves when you guys say wolves? The Frostmaiden gathering followers maybe trying to create some type of perpetual worship to restore her power to fight off the real baddies, as you mentioned. Um so, I guess I haven't decided yet, Jeff. Um, she's already got followers, which I'm going to use as the Frost Druids because that stat block is already here. I could use Sephic later on if I want to. Um, and she's basically instructed her followers to find uh, the wizard and find the orb. Meaning, so I think the idea is... I need to try to figure out how much does Aurel know about what Ness Lantimer did. Does she recognize, you know, does she just know it was a wizard? Does, I mean, how, you know, what does she, does she actually know? I, she has to know something happened. Maybe she felt the orb's power. I don't know. I want to be able to tease things without giving too much of my story away, in other words. I knew to say the wizard, and then they don't really know anything else. Um, in terms of even the Frost Druids won't know what all that means. Just they have to find the wizard to find the orb. Uh, almost like heroes, save the cheerleader, save the world, for an old reference. Ice Storm might be a little too heavy to pull off, though. So, yeah, I could do a pack of wolves just as a road. I do have a road map I can use. Uh, which is this one. Actually, does it have wolves in here? Or no. Is it just... Awakened Beast is one of them. That might be the one instead of Frost Druid. So basically, I either have the Frost Druids show up, like probably Ravison, or, or maybe you could have multiple Frost Druids, um, and just kind of, you know, ask the players, have a have basically a, a short social scene is the goal. And then depending on how that scene goes, either unleash a spell or unleash a combat encounter or something. Um... And it could be a fight. Like the, We're going to get to the Beautiful Mind in a second, I promise. Um, the Beautiful Mind is going to have some combat in there, obviously. But I do feel like I should soften the players up a little bit on the road before they get there. Again, because... And I don't want to mean to have an encounter every time they go from one town to another. That's not my goal. But, as you saw, the distance between Targos and Tourmaline was like nine miles. And that was a couple hours. So I think that would be an appropriate time to have... You know, one of these less monstrous encounters show up, which could be the Frost Druid. In this case, joined by three creatures that are beneficiaries of the Druid's Awaken spell. 
The awakened beasts and plant serve as druids, companions, and spies, and they share the druids' evil disposition. So you could have a whole party, which, again, the frost druids are no joke. I mean, they can cast Ice Storm. They're CR5. So if the cool thing is, if you did this, you would probably have the frost druid maybe back off and go somewhere, you know, do that classic, like, oh, you don't want to fight me thing. But maybe she'll still sick some wolves on the party or just cast the one spell and then disappear. Um, would be a way of not spending too much time doing combat, but still mess the players up and weaken them. I just worry that Ice Storm would be a really mean thing to do because it's so damn powerful. <laughs> and basically we're not rolling. It wouldn't be a case of um, rolling initiative. It would be kind of a cutscene type thing, which also feels a little cheap for me to try to pull off. Um, because the players would probably be like, wait a minute, we can't do anything? That's kind of how I would treat it. Versus, I could just do a straight-up combat encounter, but if I did, I I don't know. Might be too much. Because you would have her as a wolf. It, it, basically, the idea would be a talking wolf approaches the party and says, you know, who are you? Um, you know, do a cool, like, wintry voice, I guess. Who are you? Where is the wizard? Where is the orb? And depending on how the players, you know, act or answer from there, they, the frost druid could just take off. Or I could just use a talking wolf, because she does awaken wolves. Uh, or B, enter a combat encounter with said wolves. Um, or C, just throw a spell at them like an ice storm. Or um, what's the other combat one? Moonbeam? Yeah, they have moonbeam. Moonbeam would be another one. Just to, oh, is it one word? Moonbeam. Silver beam of light. Five foot radius. Five foot radius, so it's only a very small. Trainers and spells are placed on my center. Golden ghostly flame. Two D eight radiant. Two D ten radiant damage. Five foot's only like gonna hit one person. Okay, so that one's not quite as useful. Like a single target. I guess the idea is it stays there and then you can move the beam around, but I don't necessarily want to do that. Wolf battles quick. Wolves retrieve they're being beaten. Yes, for sure. And it would probably be um, intelligent wolves. So I'm, I'm probably, yeah, I kind of like the wolf idea. Especially if you have one, maybe one intelligent wolf who was awakened. Um, where's awakened beast? Awakened beast. Sudden score of 10. Ability to speak common or druidic. The druids use these awakened beasts as spies and messengers. Awakened Beast looks the same as normal, except for a hint of gleam of intelligence in its eyes. I like the, the idea that they all have got blue eyes if they've been awakened, maybe. Also, I think it'd be really cool if uh, if you really wanted to fuck the players up. In fact, it says, Awakened Beast spies to spy on the characters and ascertain that may be headed, then report back to its master, the Frost Druid, who awakened it. Awakened Beast characters encounter smart enough to stay out of harm's way. If the beast is a dangerous predator, such as bear, tiger, or wolf... It keeps its distance from the adventuring parties without provoke the characters into attacking it. So maybe I tease the fact that somebody's following them, and at some point when they make it around the road, there'll be like a wolf like up on a ridge who is asking the players questions. It's ready to help the kid. Yeah, so I'm obviously I'm not all my so I am I, I talked a little bit about during the DM guide that I was not wanting to use the awakened creatures at all. And now I am, but only as very evil dark things, so that all the awakened animals are 
have an evil disposition and basically have been awakened through the frost giants connection to oral which means they all have orals like kind of evil wintry disposition so it's not going to be done as some kind of fun you know disney movie-esque uh thing it's going to be uh you don't want these animals talking to you because they're all going to be pretty evil um, and I'm going to use probably the glowing blue eyes as a way to denote that. And maybe... Oh, I just hit the back button. Don't do that. My mouse. Oh, no. I'm going to have to lose. <laughs> okay, good. I stopped it. Um, maybe I even give them the Winter Wolves uh, Frost Breath as a way to kind of uh, really mess the players up. Where is the Winter Wolf? Winter Wolf. So these guys I'll use later when it's the upgraded version of uh, in fact you know what I could just have a winter wolf um, I could, that's true radius yeah it's 10 foot square I could just have a winter wolf approach the party like a giant wolf with its glowing blue eyes and it can have the conversation with the party they're already intelligent um, and they will be like direct heralds of Aural. And the idea is it won't fight the party. Instead, maybe it'll unleash its cold breath on the party. And then a bunch of wolves can appear and fight. Is that too much of a is that too much? So the winter wolf would actually back off, but maybe do its cold breath and then um a bunch of wolves appear. In it's it's what the one of the biggest issues I have with the, all these ideas is when do you stop running a cutscene and when do you enter into role for initiative because at some point like all of this sounds cool but then if the players are like wait a minute can I act before like the winter wolf gets to undo its cold breath then I'm then I'm leaving the wolf on the board and I'm like I guess you could attack it but it's just gonna release its cold breath and then you know basically retreat even though it could like destroy the party or I just use a regular wolf. So those are all the questions. So I haven't planned any of this basically encounter, which the bad thing is this is going to be like the first thing, one of the first things we do in this session. We're going to have that big, um, like I said, social encounters with Max Ildenar and Targos. Um, assuming they do that, or if they do overland map, then I guess I'll have to run this encounter right when they hit the road because I've only got a road map here set up. Uh, but I do want to have something that teases the fact that Oral's agents are looking for something and they are dangerous. Talking coyote, that sounds like Johnny K. Yeah. I'm your spirit animal, Homer. It's still a great episode. That's the hot chili one, right? Where he eats the like hot pepper and then just has that vision. Towns are going more oral. Yeah, for sure. So maybe I'm trying to be too cheeky with the players by using a winter wolf because they are only level two and a winter wolf will probably demolish them and that's not my goal here i just want to soft them up a bit um the other option is i just use wolves and then one of them has the blue eyes and then i can use that as kind of dm magic and either have it unleash the cold breath or you know maybe maybe do frost fingers instead of cold breath. In other words, it's like a half cold breath because I think frost fingers is literally a 2d8 versus um frost fringer versus a 48, so maybe that would be better balanced. 
Because it's literally a 15-foot cone, so it's the exact same thing as Cold Breath. Except it's a con saving throw. Interesting. I wonder why it's con versus dex for the Cold Breath. There's no way to dodge it. You just have to, like, gird yourself against the cold. Hundred twenty foot is hard ground to make up. What do you mean by hundred twenty? Who's one big bad wolf? A few smaller wolves, and the big one leaves the party to his. Yeah, one wolf with the blue eyes is a cool tease. I think so. Kind of like the intelligent one. Um. So yeah, I mean, we could use the winter. So do we like that versus? Because the winter wolf is is different. It is straight up like large versus medium. So I think instead of using the Winter Wolf stat block, literally we'll just use maybe a bunch of wolves, but one wolf will be um, modified. And I think it would be awakened by the Frost Druids, and then whenever they awaken somebody, they imbue it with some of Aural's power, which maybe would give it, what do we think, like damage, re cold resistance, and um, I like the idea of it having a, a limited version of the Cold Breath. Which, why did I just open that again? Already opened it, isn't it? Which could be equal to Frost Fingers doing 2d8 cold damage. So basically, I'm taking, I'm, I'm, I'm creating a low-level Winter Wolf essentially, and then in the future, I would probably just use the Winter Wolf stat block because it's fine. But also, 75 hit points, holy shit! Um, how many wolves do we think we should use for this potential encounter? It doesn't say when it comes to Awakened Beast. It's just one. There's no Good level, and again, I'm not trying. I guess is the general rule like one per party member. Let's get rid of you, and if I have wolves in here. I guess is the question, which I'm guessing this north to south map would work. I think I got this one from where did I get this? This might have been from Reddit. I like how I mentioned I was going to talk about Beautiful Mine, and we haven't even gotten to the frickin' mine yet, but we will be talking about it, I promise. Um, let's see. 20 maps. Uh, now, this is... Oh, this might be from the... That same adventure bundle, actually. What's this from? Uh, what is it called? The DM's Complete Guide? Nope, it's not from that one. Where did I get this stupid map from? Don't know. <laughs> I should know this. I found it somewhere. My Google foo is Google foo is not that clever. I'm sure you'll be able to find it. Uh, three wolves for four players level one party. It was slightly dicey. So, I yeah, I was thinking four or five. Keep in mind, I mean, you know, Valraven can sleep them. There's a wolf, which this area is under darkness. Yeah, I've got five characters. I'm starting to love the bottom overlapping of the hit bars. One, two, oops. 
two, five, and we could denote a blue one. Maybe just give it max hit points. I wonder how bad it looks if I tint it. That looks kind of dumb. <laughs> Not really a good way to tint things, is there? Hmm. Maybe I'll put a symbol on there instead, because I do want to denote that you can tell which one is the the big bad wolf. All right, so we roll for hit points. Which, if I actually roll this, probably gonna let's see, is it gonna whisper it? They always whisper rolls. Let's see if that works. That works. Okay. So let's do this four times, then we'll give the last one more hit points. Three, four. Oh my gosh. Stupid fucking wolves. What are you doing? That's true. I could separate them because that's, that's a radius, isn't it? Ten. One of them is a bigger one. I think we'll just give the boss one, maybe the max hit points. Or do my usual rule of roll, but make sure it's above average, which in this case would be 11. But I want the big one to have the most hit points, which, what is the max here? 16 is 18, right? 2d8, 16 plus 2, let's just give him 18. 18. Yeah, which, you know, that's fine. I'm, the thing is, I'm, what that does is it uses up their spell slots. If they want to solve these, you know, combat encounters by throwing those kind of crowd control spells, I mean, that's what those spells are there for. They're there specifically to take out, you know, lots of weaker creatures. So that could certainly be a way to get this done. Would, um, you know, that would have to happen. And then they're down those spell slots going into... Going into the mine a good symbol for the eye. And the idea is I just literally give this one wolf maybe the ability to breathe like the a limited version of the frost breath and that's the one that's talking. Maybe we'll put the players like down here. Or actually, we could put the players up here and use this ridge. That could be kind of cool. Could be neat. See this? I see them partly if we move this back a little bit. Put some wolves up here, and others will like emerge from somewhere else, basically, maybe even behind them. That would be pretty fun. Stick them over here and put them on the GM layer. Yeah, I talked to myself is good too. Recently learned about this. Okay, so there'll be a little, probably a little soften fight scene here again. The wolf with the eyes will basically just, 
you know, ask the players who they are, what are they doing. Not meant to be a huge social encounter, but obviously, um, if they say anything about how they're trying to do, you know, help people out, or I, in theory, they, they would see these, you know, the Frost Druid would awaken the wolves and tell them, you know, get information, and, you know, if, if anybody's traveling and looking like they're trying to, uh, you know, any kind of spellcaster, basically, wizard, or anybody who's allied with them needs to be taken out. So, that would be the first taste of uh, Oral's minions, would be a bunch of wolves. Hopefully five plus one that's a little bit more high power would be enough, but we'll see. Again, if they want to throw up fog clouds and sleeps and stuff, that's perfectly fine. And then uh, that'll be it, and we'll move on to the next thing, which will be... We thought about throwing a ton of wolves and having most of them run if they kill, say, three of them. Um, well... For future encounters, maybe. Because right now, Aural doesn't know anything about the, you know, the Frost Druid. The, the, the heroes, the adventurers, are an unknown quantity to my enemy factions right now. So this is just them testing the waters. They don't know anything about these characters. They don't know if they're just a bunch of commoners. Like, you know, the, the one awakened wolf is certainly intelligent, but intelligent to where, like, you know, hey, most anybody that's traveling along the roads, we can probably take, you know, now that I've got some a pack of wolves... And this will be the proof that, like, oh, shit, these guys are mean serious business, and we need to back off, and I'm hoping I can have the one wolf survive and, and run the leader. Um, but certainly, you know, other wolves would retreat, and then that would get information to the, you know, Frost Druid, who would then give information to the enemies that, like, you know, and maybe one of the things is send more wolves or something. Um... So that'll be just a kind of a quick softened encounter. And again, we didn't have a common encounter at all last session, so it'll be fun to have that kind of on the road. And then we will finally make it to Tourmaline, which they will have a brief um, meetup with uh, Speaker... Uh, uh, what's his name? Maschew, where they can again talk about the, the gem mine, the kobolds. And now, almost an hour later, we're finally going to talk about... Our first real dungeon crawl of the campaign, which I imagine we will get to maybe, depending on how long that wolf fight goes, we'll probably just get to the entrance of it. I don't know if we'll get to the first fight or not. We'll have to see. But my thought process for the beautiful mine, the gem mine, is the kobolds came in um, just because of what everybody thinks, which is... Um, the conditions are very bad, and they need a place to live. It interestingly says about the kobolds in the book that they're not uncommon in ten towns. They actually do come in uh, occasionally. It says another Icewind kobold section. It's not like people have never seen them or anything. Uh, which, yes, I did change the picture. Cause the picture was them in that funny picture of them like stacked on top of each other in the coat, which is a funny picture, but doesn't really work as a, as a token. Um, Kobolds named Icewind Dale frequently wander into ten towns to escape the dreadful cold, hoping to trade what few skills they have for some warm soup and shelter. The people of ten towns, accustomed to the presence of strange outlanders, allow these kobolds to dwell among them for the most part. Um... Now, obviously, I can change that up, and I will, to mention the fact that, you know, kobolds aren't uncommon here. They occasionally come in, and, you know, they will trade and work some odd jobs, but it wouldn't be like a case of them, uh, you know, living with the people would be the big, like, cutoff point. Like, no, you guys come in, and, like, it's a day trade thing, and, you know, we may entertain them or something, but they're certainly not, we're not going to let them, like, live among us. Um, 
And that would be the thing is that conditions are so bad that the Cobalts have to like come in. They've moved into this mine. They've scared away the miners. Um, and then Speaker Maschew doesn't have the authority, you know, doesn't have the um, a good hold on the militia in order to get them to go in and clear them out. So Cobalts being Cobalts um, have set up a bunch of traps in the entrance to this mine. I'm using the Cobalt Trapsmith um, stat block from Tomb of Beasts. As well as, I think, the Cobalt Inventor, which is from uh, one of the D&D books. Because Cobalts are all about traps. So they've laid out a bunch of traps in the beginning of this mine. The idea being, as you can see here, um, afterwards, at some point, a bunch of rats came inside and actually triggered one of the traps. So it's dead right here. And then there's a bunch of uh, rats feasting on a Cobalt corpse uh, down here, so that will tease multiple things. It will basically tease the fact that the Cobalts have set up traps in here, which if you can see, I might have to zoom in. Um, I put little red squares kind of in certain spots where you can see that's where the actual traps will trigger. Um, and including this one is going to be a big smoke trap. This will be the choke bomb trap from um, the Cobalts, uh, what do they call it, Trapsmith stat block which basically is a big radius and uh, you have to roll a con save or be poisoned for an hour, which could be interesting because then you've got a whole dungeon to, to crawl through. Uh, this one is going to be green slime on the ceiling, which will drip down and hit people. This one, I don't think I've decided on, but it's probably going to be like a support beam that knocks out and like a bunch of rocks fall down and hit the party. And then this one was the shredder bomb. Uh, which we've used in, I used in Tomb actually, as as loot players could get, which is kind of like a, a a mine that you throw and and then explodes. And in this case, it was already, and it's, it's the strongest one for sure. And this one already exploded, um, and killed one of the rats as they tried to come in here, um, or maybe they tried to leave. I don't know why this one. And this one is not did not go off because maybe the rats didn't, um, you know, trigger it whenever they came by. Maybe it has to do with brushing against something on the wall or something like that. It's going to be a DC 13 perception check to try to find these traps. And then another, um, I don't know if you use how you disarm traps. Is that just investigation role maybe? Investigation might be how to disarm it. And then you have to use, do you have to use actual disarm tool? I need to refresh myself on the actual trap rules here. Because once I trigger the first trap, they're going to be start being paranoid about, oh shit, we need to start looking out for these traps a little more. Yes, I agree with that, um, Garchomp. I have a funny memory of that, which is when I used side content for Princes of the Apocalypse, going back years, I used a monster from Tomb of Beasts as a minion, and it was the Eelhound, I believe. I actually ran... In fact, I actually ran a whole um, uh, layer from the Book of Layers, which I believe was released around the same time, which was the Red Hags, I think, having the that kind of house and the Eelhounds around it. And yes, those things had so many hit points that that fight ended up being a huge, horrible slog. And that's when I realized, like, oh shit, yeah, these things have way too much hit points for how they're balanced compared to things in the 5e book. Like, literally, like, twice the hit points of something that would be comparable. So I'm not using the Cobalt uh, Inventor stat block. I'm just using their traps because the traps are, are pretty good. Um, Dex check. Is it Dex check to disarm? Could be. Add proficiency of thieves tools. Okay. So just a dexterity check to disarm it. Um, perception check to notice it. Investigation check to determine how to disarm it. And then a dex check to disarm it. That's Maybe that's too many steps. 
And a perception check alone would, would be enough to um, avoid it depending on what the trap was. And if you notice, I do have another path up here without a trap. So it's not like every single path has a trap. Basically, there's one over here, which is the smoke bomb. This one will be like rocks coming down, and this one is going to be like acid dripping on you. And then I moved the giant rats, which I talked about this in our Discord chat. I thought about using like a carrion crawler or something, because that would be just more fun. But um, the carrion crawler, if you look at the stat block, is almost the exact damn same as the grell. And the grell is supposed to be the boss of this dungeon. It's literally like using the same poison, paralyzing tentacles. Like it's just too similar. So it's like, well, I'd rather use something that's, again, more smaller and minion-y. And I guess the giant rats still fill that purpose. So I added more to make it more of a fight. So there's more rats. As you can see, I actually already rolled hit points for them uh, earlier. And I rolled uh, very good on the hit points for these rats. There's 11, 12, and 10, which is all, I think, well above average. And then in case things really go sour and I feel like my rats are getting beat up, maybe like a sleep spell or something shut them down, I do have a swarm of rats I could have pour out of, like, holes in the caves or something and form a swarm. So we'll kind of see if we need to use that in the back pocket. But that'll be the initial part of this dungeon. We'll be crawling through um, and triggering these traps, hopefully having fun with that. Like, let's see... Here's what dark vision gives you. So instantly from the entrance, you can see beyond there's like a giant rat body and a bunch of um, what look like spikes and blades covering the ground. So I'm probably teasing maybe even too early the fact that there are, you know, traps in this dungeon. And it's it's that low level friendly thing that like video games do where they show you a problem early to tease you the fact that, hey, you're going to run into this hazard like, you know, later uh, soon in this dungeon, so watch out. <laughs> and this is what non-dark vision gives you. So somebody's going to have to light a torch for these smaller ones, or they can just crawl around like that if they want to, because I did give them a slight, like, 5 or 10 uh, foot uh, radius of sight. Throw more of them on this map. I think they're all properly tied to their tokens. That would probably be the marching order, generally. I think the monk would be in front, but I like the fact that she's role-playing her as more of a scaredy first-time adventurer. Just you and... Okay. Dark Vision is uh, is working. Oh, Eel Hounds is... Why you bought Tomb of Beasts? That's funny. Grill is cool. It takes time to get down to the buckets. Yeah, so I don't think we're going to get there, but um, the goals for this dungeon, we're going to have the you know the traps in the beginning set by the kobolds. The rats have come in and are feasting on a kobold body. Now, why is there a dead kobold here? Um, it, the rats did not kill this kobold. So after we have this rat fight, the players can investigate the body, and then I'm going to tease again, tease what's happening in the dungeon, which is... Um, it's been like covered in you know paralyzing barbs, and it's had its... like head and brains like eaten out or something and the players have no idea what this means or what killed it other than something that wasn't a giant rat killed this thing so what's interesting here is the players going to go into this dungeon thinking okay this is going to be a social thing we're going to walk in you know maybe have to defuse a hostile situation but then we'll be able to talk to these kobolds and maybe convince them you know to live with the people or or let them work or something and that may be the case but they're first going to have to deal with this other threat which is 
something is hunting down and killing the kobolds. And it's not something that triggered these traps, and they're going to find out it's something that came up from this shaft to the Underdark, which is something that if the players decide to ask questions about the mine, you know, what's going on in there and what's the makeup and all that, then Master Chu can um, reveal the fact that, like, oh, by the way, there's also a shaft to the Underdark, which could mean all kinds of things. Um, in terms of, you know, the Kobold's disposition and things, they will generally be frightened and hostile at first, so that might be an interesting situation where they are attacking the players um, when they first meet, but then the players should be able to, you know, talk them down pretty quickly if they can. Or they may run into the Grell first, depending on how they crawl through this dungeon. But I think I'm going to go ahead and have this triggered um, already instead of having the Kobolds be in the process of, like, making that trap. I think I'm going to have it already be set up to... Uh, collapse and thus separate the party further, which is what M5. Uh, let's see. To weaken the wooden struts, the walking colossal creature weighing more than two cobalt tries to stand on it. The cobalt need another day to complete their sabotage. So obviously, I'm fast forwarding it to where they have completed it. Unfortunately, I was hoping there was actually rules there, but there are not. So probably going to be a deck save um, when you fall. And then I can have them, what's fun is I can have them fall, um, they're probably going to not come to level 2, instead they're going to fall all the way down to level 3, which how, how much of a fall is that? Let's see, more walkways, there's the northwest side of the shaft, 30 feet down. So level 3 is 30 feet below level 1, so you would fall 30 feet, so that's 3d6. Um, and then maybe I can... I could even give them a second, or I just... It'd be more fun if I put them down here versus right next to the Kobolds. So I think regardless, they would actually appear down here, and then we've got a cool thing where we've separated the party, and we can lure, you know, with... I have to scroll down quick. Um, show off the cool... Uh, what is that? The, the skull of the Mind Flayer, and have that be a thing. And then they've separated the party. You've got the bucket, which does not take you to level 3. The bucket only takes you to level 2. So we're separating the party and possibly getting in all kinds of fun shenanigans. Uh, with the actual boss that's down here. Alright, so I have been streaming for about an hour now. As I said, in the future, I think we're going to have to start uh, a little bit later than usual to try and sync up better with uh, the baby schedule. So look for maybe next week starting to do uh, more like 10.30 to 11.30 rather than 10 to 11. But uh, I think that's about as far as we're going to get in the session uh, as well. So look for basically Beautiful Mind Part 2 uh, for next week's crafting also. Uh, if you enjoy the content, please check out patreon.com slash roguewatson. Shoutouts to Platinum Patrons, Joe, Will, Tiny Dancer, Manuel, Wizard, Princess, Christopher, Star, Lovely, Thomas, Ian, Captain Mike, Adam, Goblin, Works, Aiden, and Instant Lose, and Gold Patrons, RPG, Papercrafts, Charming Grenade, Pretty Boy, and Yuma, Marco, State, Vicente, Gilberto, Dead Lizard, Lion, Sam, Ross, Lumpy, Spuds, Jerome, Batboy, 619, Sklenny, Nick, Party, McButterpants, Blood, Angel, Veronis, The Fireworks, Factory, Baboon, Baboon, Sean, AK, Cert, 2B, Nathan, and Fast Like a Tortoise. Thank you all so much for your support. I will see you tomorrow night for D&D. Thank you.